remain standing and turn your attention with me as we pick back up our series that we have left off for some time, and now we're picking back up in Matthew chapter 9 as we now hear the Word of God in the first eight verses of this uh, very endearing incident in the life of our Lord as we now consider the healing of this paralytic. Now listen or follow along with me, beginning at verse 1 of Matthew 9. <clears throat> so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once... Some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemies. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Our gracious Father, we ask that your spirit would guide us, not only in the understanding of the very point he is making here from this text, but apply the truth to our hearts that we might be all the more warm to our Lord Jesus who has forgiven us of our sins and the great sacrifice he gave in great love. So, Lord, open up and stretch our minds and our hearts this day and apply these truths. It would be a great encouragement for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We are halfway through ten miracles that Matthew has grouped together in chapters 8 and 9 to encourage our faith so that we will be willing to follow Jesus and to be his true disciples. That's the point here. This is for the people of God today. This is for you. If you're in Christ, this is for you. If you're outside of Christ, this is for you. Whatever your state is today, there is a calling for us all. We've seen Jesus perform miracles of healing. We've seen him calm the storm and the sea with his disciples so that even all of nature and all of His creation obeys His voice. We've seen His authority over the spirit world and casting out demons from two men into 2,000 swine who ran down the hill. And then the people asked Him to leave their place. And now we have another episode of the story and the perspective of what manner of man is this Jesus? That's what His disciples asked. That's what we should ask. What manner of man is this man, Jesus? Matthew, as you might recall, is not putting these things in a chronological order, but in a theological order. And so we have this incident that comes to us on the heels of Jesus being the ruler and authority over the spirit world. Both Mark and Luke give us the same account of this same event, but they give us much more detail to the setting. From both of those Gospels, we learn that the crowd was thick and Jesus was in Capernaum and 
They couldn't even get to the house where Jesus was to bring this paralytic. So these four friends who loved this man and was a deep friend, but also had a great faith in Jesus along with this man, were seeking to go to Jesus and to get there. And and yet, how were they going to get into the house where he was? How are they going to get this man in front of Jesus? So I've always had this picture in my mind of the valiant effort of, I don't know if you've ever hauled a man on his bed before. (laughs) I haven't. Uh, But talking about dead weight. But now you're going to climb up to the roof. And now you're going to dig a hole in someone's house roof. And you're going to lower this man in so that he could just be in the presence of Jesus. These men were bringing their friend to Jesus. And they were going through quite an effort in order to do so. Now all of that effort, all of the setting of that story, I've always wondered as a little boy, who's going to repair that hole in the roof? But you know, Matthew leaves all of that out doesn't say a word about the setting of this story. All that interesting stuff. And the Holy Spirit has a reason for doing that. When you leave out all the setting of the story, the scene immediately begins with conversation. And that's what we find here. Verse 2. Then behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. That's, That's about it. And Jesus saw their faith. And he said, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Immediately, the Holy Spirit in Matthew's account just cuts right to the chase. And the conversation begins in verse 2 as God immediately confronts the very point he wants us to see. Now, Matthew added something to this account that neither Mark nor Luke added. And that's how he ends. And look at verse 8. Matthew intentionally strikes this note. Who has given such power to men? That's the point. Therein is the message that the Holy Spirit wants us to get this morning. God does not intend for us to focus our attention on the healing. God does not intend on us to focus our attention on someone's faith. God does not want us to focus our attention on the four men who brought this man to Jesus. Those are all important, but that is not the primary purpose. The Spirit of God is drawing our attention to The primary thing is this authority, this prerogative that this man Jesus is exercising. And that's why it ends that way. Stories end with a punchline. And there's your punchline. Who has given such a prerogative to men to forgive them of their sins? The passage is showing... That this man, this man Jesus, he has the prerogative to forgive men of their sins. He has that authority. 
What man can say to another man, your sins are forgiven? No earthly priest can say that. No hierarchical bishop or cardinal can say that. No pope can say that. No Baptist or Presbyterian minister can say that. And while maybe they can say that, that certainly is going to be empty words and no power behind it, and truly it will not happen. There's only one man who has ever walked the face of this world who can forgive men of their sins, and we are staring at him right now, this man Jesus. So while there was quite an effort and quite a drama of getting this man up to the roof and all that unfolds, the very thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is what we need to hear. And that is, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And we don't hear many people approaching uh, someone else with that kind of evangelism. And there the man lay still. Here he is, still on his bed. And what he hears from Jesus is, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. At this moment, he is not healed from his physical ailment. Let's say we don't know the end of the story, and this might be the end of the story. How are we going to feel about that? How is he going to interpret that? His sins have been forgiven. If the story had stopped right there, what a wonderful, eternal thing has just happened to this man. His sins have been forgiven what would have been the state of the man's heart having been forgiven of all of his sins but still having to remain a paralytic for the rest of his life would we be satisfied with that being the end of the story Would there have been some kind of internal grumbling with this man and his friends had he had not been completely healed of his paralysis? Because Jesus did not do for him what he really wanted. How would you respond if Jesus decided not to heal you a hundred percent or to answer your prayers or to bring your dreams to pass like you hope but he says your sins are forgiven what is our internal response to that can we gladly accept that providence can we live with joy can we be of good cheer I believe this man would have left in a state of gladness and joy. You know why I believe that? Because it says that he had faith. I believe his friends would not have been disappointed because his friends had faith. If they were seeking him merely for the physical, then this would not be such a happy story. We do have accounts of that. We will come to accounts of that, but this is not that account. 
Because salvation requires the Holy Spirit to change the heart, it is the Holy Spirit's work in the heart that then gives us a bent for Christ and a love for God and the goodness of God and the joy of His forgiveness. And that is a fruit of the Spirit. And that cheerfulness is something that the Spirit of God brings forth if He has done a work in the heart, which He certainly did here. And forgiveness of sins is so enormously, so incomparably important of of greater value than any physical healing that focuses our gratitude. And it ought to direct us toward the God of great immense love for what great things He has done. I was one time at a very low point in my ministry and went to see a pastor and get his counsel. And I remember very vividly, he turns around and he pulls out a tape by John Piper on Charles Simeon who says, brethren, we must not mind a little suffering. A wonderful quote that I can't quote verbatim, but he basically, Charles Simeon is approaching and and exhorting pastors, brethren, if our head can get through the thorny branches and the the hedge and make it safely through, then certainly his body can come along after enduring the afflictions that they need to in order to serve him well. Charles Simeon was a Puritan who had many sufferings throughout his entire life, including not much love from the people of God. He was shut out of the services of which he was appointed to be the preacher The people revolted even after he had to be their preacher, so they locked the pews so that people couldn't get in. They locked the church. This went on for over a decade, people. And so this was his lot, and what a great joy of expression that he was able to give quite in spite of it. Well, here is Matthew's story. And Matthew's story focuses our attention on the great authority and prerogative of King Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does is he addresses the conscience of this man. He says, son, now there's a warm term right there, son, family, brother, be of good cheer. That's a term that urges people to be courageous and cheerful, even in spite of what they dread or fear, right down to the very place of a gnawing anxiety. Hey, be of good cheer. When you're anxious and fearful of something, you hear Jesus say, hey, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And that should just come pale. That should just overcome. Anything would pale in comparison to that. There's lots of things we worry about from day to day, but you know the one thing that often is not on our minds day to day is, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. This is the thing that bothered David so much in Psalm 51 as he lived for some time with an unrepentant heart and the sin just, just bound in him, ate his bones up, as he says in Psalm, 1, or Psalm 32. But in Psalm 51 he says, Lord, Forgive me if it's against you and you only have I sinned and for restore the joy of thy salvation. 
which have been missing, Lord. These opening words of Jesus assumes that Jesus knew something about the state of that man, just like he knew what was in the scribes and Pharisees' heart and mind. That he knew something about the state of this man and his dispirited conscience. The man knows himself to be a sinner. In fact, in those days, they actually went to extremes when they saw a man with leprosy or blindness or something like that. They would often assume that it was because of his sin that this calamity had fallen on him. And while that may be sometimes the case, it certainly is not the case all the time. And Jesus had to straighten out some of those misconceptions from time to time. But we have quite the opposite problem today. We don't relate any of our sicknesses or physical problems with potential sin issues. In fact, a common viewpoint today is that if someone like this, a paralytic or quadriplegic, we couldn't possibly face any greater suffering in eternity than what he's now experiencing. We are a people that are prone to sentimentality. And most people would be hesitant to talk to a paraplegic about their sins. Remember when Christopher Rees, for some of you old enough, knew who he was, an actor who played Superman, fell off his horse when his horse bucked him and became a quadriplegic. I wonder, with all of the, and he became still, he, he was a champion for certain causes, but I wonder how many people talked to him about his sins and his eternal state if he didn't repent and trust Jesus. One of our main problems today, even in the church, is a distortion of sin and how God relates to it. The Bible informs us in no uncertain terms that God is a holy God and God does not tolerate sin. In fact, the Bible says God is not merely angry with sin. He hates the sinner. I actually know of a Christian teacher in a Christian school, in a Christian school, in a very conservative fundamental school, that was bringing a devotion out of Psalm 5 and says that God does not merely hate the sin and love the sinner. Psalm 5 says he hates the sinner. And he lost his job over that. There's a distortion of sin. And if you don't get sin correct in the way that God has revealed it to us, you will not present the gospel correctly. You may not understand it correctly. People have a distorted view of sin. Their whole approach is to relieve the conscience by redefining sin. You see that all over the place today. Everybody's got a conscience. Even the worst and most heinous of sinners has a conscience. And when you have a wrong view of sin, just trying to relieve the conscience by redefining sin, it changes and alters your entire presentation of what salvation is. It changes what Jesus came to do. People who minimize and downplay sin, who placate their own conscience with soft talk or holding a comfortable view of God with the dismissal of the feelings of guilt, people like that basically present 
salvation is something of a healing from your troubles. Healing of the physical. And that's a distortion of the gospel. That's not what Jesus is doing here. That's not where our attention is to be drawn. Healing this man's physical problem is quite the secondary thing, so that if it never happened, the main problem for all of eternity is still addressed. This man had a sin problem, even more than a physical one. And if a sin problem can ever be addressed, then one day every bit of his physical problems will be addressed and healed. But it's never the other way around. When people soft-pedal sin to where they attempt to shut their conscience away in a closet and, and stow it away and try to silence it, it will ultimately fail. No one can completely silence or squelch their conscience. Now, you may quiet it down for a little bit. <clears throat> But God has hardwired us with a conscience. And one day that conscience will cry out from behind that closet door that you tried to muzzle. And when people are gripped by some great trial or trouble in their lives, their conscience will rise up and they will connect their troubles with their very sin. And that's why the Lord is beginning the way he does here. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. The first words out of the Lord's mouth to this man are warm and they're encouraging and they're assuring for the very thing that gripped this man's disquieted spirit. Everywhere in Scripture, the Bible reveals that God is ready to forgive sins for those who sincerely come to Him. He takes no pleasure in punishing us. By nature, God is love, and He's prepared to pardon us. And whenever people come to Him with sincerity, He will forgive, and He will never cast out. It's greatly assuring. So what is the greatest hope that you have in life today? What, what is it? If you had, what is your greatest hope? What is your greatest desire? Would it be healed from your physical infirmity? Would it be to reach this particular goal or objective with your life? Is it to be able to live out a dream? Is it to have things or have whatever? Or is it to be forgiven of all of your sins? If we were a fly on the wall of your inner man... What would we learn about your values and your perceptions of life from how you pray to God? What is your prayer life like? How thankful are you as a person for the forgiveness of sins? How often does that come up in your prayer life? Sincerely, thoughtfully, and not carelessly, not mundanely, not in a perfunctory manner. Are you a thankful person for the forgiveness of sins? Do you understand the implications of that very thing? And all the cheer and the joy that that in and of itself, regardless of any other things that are going on in your life, that can bring. Or are we so spoiled and we feel so entitled that 
We have such a spiritual amnesia that we forget the love of God and the magnitude of His blessed sacrifice to forgive us from all of our sins and eventually remove all of its effect and consequences from our life, which He has promised He will do. Notice here that Jesus is not saying to this man, your sins may be forgiven. Your sins will one day be forgiven. He is saying in a most un or most certainly is the case, your sins have been forgiven. Past tense with a continuing present result. This is a declaration. It was a powerful, wonderful assurance. You will know the blessed relief in hearing those words from the one who can do it. There are two things that gives the Lord the possibility of making that kind of assurance to the man. Number one is something in the man himself, and number two is in the Lord himself. Number one, we see in the man himself, it says that seeing their faith, and this was also true of the individual. It is pointing to the faith of the friends, but I think it's pointing to the friends and the individual, the whole lot of them. They all had faith. And the Lord saw the faith of this man deep down beyond the disquieted spirit, deep down beyond that which is causing consternation or fear. He saw the faith of this man. And that is what released the Lord to give him a new standing before God. Scripture teaches us that on the basis of faith and faith alone that God offers salvation and pardon to anyone. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit does breathe new life in, He does bring necessarily forth the faith. And when Jesus sees that faith of one who sincerely comes to Him, He forgives them. That is why Ephesians 2 says, By grace, but through faith that we are saved. Romans 10 says, If you believe certain things in your heart, you will be saved. Everywhere in Scripture it comes down to this, you must have faith. And Jesus saw their faith in a man who was simultaneously also bothered with a conscience about his sins, who had a dispirited and fearful something going on in his heart. And how Jesus first approaches him is, son, be of good cheer. So what is the turning point? What is your turning point? In spite of all your fears and anxieties and your bothered conscience, because you're so aware of your sins before God, the turning point is a genuine, sincere faith in your heart to reach out to Christ, quite in spite all of that. What we need is to have our fears settled. And this is the confirmation that he will do that. The rest of this passage continues to assure us in the confirmation of the very thing that we need this morning. And the reaction of some of those people had that day on that all of the Gospels record for us affords us the proof that we need to hear what Jesus is going to answer. And so we have, first of all, Something to do with the man himself, and that was his genuine faith. But secondly, something that has to do with the Lord himself. 
Some of the people were scandalized, and it says in verse 3 that Jesus began questioning them because he knew what was in their heart. And then he begins to ask these things. He reasons with them, but yet they are thinking in their heart, this man blasphemes. There's only one that can forgive sins, and that's God. And this man is putting himself in the place of God. He's arrogating himself with rights that only belong to God. This Jesus is putting himself in the place of God as judge. And that particular reaction affords the Lord in verses 4 through 6 the opportunity to respond to that and for us to listen in on what happened. So to set it up, he asks the question in verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or say, arise and walk? Which is easier to say? Now, he's not meaning there which is the easiest question to ask, or which grammar happens to be the easier to get out of one's mouth. That's not what he's saying. What he's meaning here is which is easier to say without anyone being able to disprove it. That's his point. If I say your sins are forgiven, well, who can actually disprove that until eternity? But if I say to this paralytic, stand up and walk home, that's proof in the pudding. You're not going to disprove that one. So our Lord is driving us to a conclusion with those questions that, in fact, it is easy to assure someone with words that, we're all prone to do. It's, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out just fine. You know, we, we tend to do that, right? Words are cheap. They're easy. We get into this subjectivism, the sentimental statements that are uttered all the time. But it's very difficult for one human being to say to another human being, your problem is ended and give the proof that it is. Watch carefully how Jesus responds, verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he stops right in the middle of his sentence. He doesn't even finish the sentence. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and it's like this. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Stand up, get your bed, and walk home. He stops talking to them, and he turns, and he tells the paralytic, now get up and make your bed and go home. Jesus just piled it on. Jesus didn't go over there and say, all right, now let me help you get your, your balance. Let me help you get that. Come on up. No. Jesus says, stand up, bend over, pick up your bed, roll up your mat, put it under your arm, walk through this intense crowd, and go home. And that's exactly what the man did. His friends weren't there to help him anymore because he didn't need that kind of help. And that was proof in the pudding that the Son of Man on earth has the power to forgive sins. The crowd went absolutely berserk. 
they were so awestruck that day. This man got up without staggering, bent over, rolled up his bed, walked right out of there through the crowd. This was no stage performance. This was real stuff. And the people knew it. And so striking was that event that one day that Luke's gospel says they were all amazed. We have seen strange things this day. That's how Luke puts it. And the point we are all out to get out of this is that the Lord Jesus Christ is like no other man. Yes, the wind and the waves obey him, for he created them, and he still controls those tornadoes and those storms and this ice and the snow and the hail and everything else he controls. Every single drop at every single second. Just like he's always done it for thousands of years. Yes, he controls the spirit world and there's nothing that can happen to you from the invisible creation without begging Jesus for first and him giving allowance according to his perfect will for what is good for you who love him. He's got power like you've never seen before. He's got power beyond what you can understand and so that you might know that your most desperate need can be met through this man. He wants to show that he has the authority and the prerogative here on this earth to forgive you of all of your sins. That is your greatest need. There's something in this man. There's something about this man. He's a certain kind of man, a special man. And it would certainly be blasphemous to put yourself in the position of God to forgive sins. If that were not your prerogative, if that was not who you were. See, the dots are supposed to be clearly connecting by now, because when Matthew introduced us to Jesus, even before he was born, he instructed us that, hey, this baby will be called Jesus. That word means Jehovah saves. And he, this little baby I'm talking about, will save the people from their sins. In fact, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who this baby is. Oh, we're supposed to take that dot and connect it and connect it and connect it. This one who is truly human, born of a virgin, is truly God, who can forgive you of all of your sins, and that is your greatest need, and that is from which your greatest joy will come. Because you've been restored to God. You come to him genuinely in faith. And yet a great blessing is your, your forgiveness of your sins today is not dependent on your future perfection. God has promised he forgives all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so great of a thing it is that... He forgives your sins and those are not dependent upon your future perfection. We have to be so careful not to be presumptuous upon God. We're right up here on the knife edge, people. You can't be presumptuous with God. Oh, he's going to forgive me of this. I'll go ahead and do it. No. But it's neither dependent upon your future perfection that all of your sins today are forgiven to those who genuinely draw near unto him by faith. How really important to know that your forgiveness today is not dependent upon your perfection tomorrow. But you are completely clean and forgiven by Jesus if you come to him sincerely. 
let me encourage you to be completely, completely transparent and honest with God on the nature of what you have done. What no one saw. What no one else knows, but He knows. And having a heart that is totally turned to the Lord about that matter. And those matters. And those things. And come back to a cheerful position of knowing that your sins are forgiven. Son, be of good cheer today. Because everything else in life pales in comparison. Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. And Jesus is your joy. No matter what this life may bring. For all of eternity. You will have all of your desires fulfilled. And beyond what your imagination can even think of now. In the glory which is in you. Which is Christ. Let's pray. Our Father we thank you for the reminder today. Of squaring us back up with the priorities of life. And with the important things of life. The very valuable things. That can often be marginalized. We often neglect to give you the praise. And the thanksgiving due to your name. For the forgiveness of sins. Lord you have forgiven us. In that day when we first came to you by faith. But Lord. Every day since. Your mercies have been new. And we. Confess our sins. And we look to your forgiveness. And for a restoration of that fellowship. For which we so long. Lord I pray for those here today. That may be downcast or discouraged. Those whose conscience may be bothering them. Those who may be complaining. Those who may be of a nature or mind that is not spiritually healthy. Lord, I pray for them today that they may hear the words of their Savior say, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. I pray for those who may be here today that truly are unregenerate. And perhaps maybe even the course of this message, the Spirit of God is doing the regenerating work and bringing forth the necessary fruit of faith to come to Jesus. That they today may hear the voice of Jesus say, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. For all of us, Lord, may we leave from here being more thankful for the redemption and the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. So make us more aware and more biblically accurate on the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of God and know what great gift it truly is and the great sacrifice it took to procure it for us so freely and graciously. Let us ever be more thankful for what we have. Lord, we all have our problems. We all have our aches and pains. We all have our sicknesses. And if we don't have them now, we will. We all have our discouragements and we all have our things that distract us. But Lord, we ask this day that you would make us mindful of the forgiveness of sins and the great joy it is to be forgiven. We pray we would not take this for granted or presume upon you, for we often do and we often neglect that thankfulness. Lord, we ask that you would apply the work of the Spirit in our lives this day. And revive us in our hearts and in our minds. And that you would give us great cause for rejoicing 
and praising you in every circumstance of life, in every place that we are, because we are in a state of forgiveness. What a joy it is to know that you've done these things for us. So bring forth the fruit of salvation and bring forth the fruit of thy spirit, the love and the joy and the peace in a great harvest today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.